spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. And Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Monday, August 1st, we are starting a new series on Sharper Iron. It is called The Law of God is Good and Wise. For the next 10 weeks, we will be reading through Deuteronomy, one of the five books of Moses, a book that modern Christians might be tempted to overlook. After all, not much, quote, happens in the book. It's almost entirely sermons from Moses. And those sermons are often full of laws that maybe we have a hard time understanding. But if we skip over Deuteronomy, we skip over the book of Moses that our guest today says is both essential and quintessential. Today's show will introduce the book as a whole and look at the text of Deuteronomy 1, verses 1 to 5. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Professor A.D. Harstad. Professor Harstad serves as Professor of Exegetical Theology at Bethany Lutheran Theological Seminary in Mankato, Minnesota. He is also the author of the recently published commentary on the book of Deuteronomy in the Concordia Commentary series from Concordia Publishing House. Professor Harstad, Welcome to Sharper Iron. I am honored to be on your program. So, Professor, tell me in your commentary, this is how you start. You say that the book of Deuteronomy is both essential and quintessential. What do you mean by that? Okay, I, I think that the word quintessential just fits perfectly for Deuteronomy because uh, that word is made up of two parts, quint, which means five, and essence or essential, which means being. Uh, so, and now here we have Deuteronomy, the fifth quint book of the Bible, and it carries the essence of really all the Old Testament, well, first of all, the rest of the Pentateuch, then the rest of the Old Testament, and the New Testament. So it's a, it's a perfect uh, name. Um, the derivation of that word quintessential is interesting because uh, the uh, ancients, ancient philosophy used it um, for the fifth and highest essence, the, you know, the four elements were earth, air, fire, and water. Well, after that came the fifth one, the quint essence of everything, the highest and the best essence. And I like to think of Deuteronomy in those terms also, quint essential. All right, so we have a very important book, both for the Old Testament, for the books of Moses, and for the New Testament, you said. Now, it's it's been a while since we've been in the Old Testament here on Sharper Iron. We've been in the New Testament and then in the Psalms most recently. So help us remember where we are in the narrative. This is the fifth book of Moses. Where do we find the people of Israel? And even, I mean, what should we know to set the stage for this book? Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned in your intro that uh, it's um, three sermons of Moses plus some supplementary material. So Moses is speaking through almost all of the book. And they are located at the doorstep of Israel in what 
we now know as the modern country of Jordan. So they're across the River Jordan from Jericho and the land flowing with milk and honey, the land promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, it's Moses' last chance to speak to all of Israel and exhort them to faithfulness to the one and only living God. So there he is preaching three long sermons, the second of which is by far the longest. And uh, so old Moses, and we can talk about him later, uh, at age 120, here he is with with a quintessential teaching moment exhorting Israel. So that's the the setting. Okay, so they're they're on the cusp of the promised land and Moses is going to preach to the people to prepare them to enter to give him almost a can we call it a there's three sermons. Mm-hmm. Can we call it his farewell address? Is does it have that sense to it? Yeah, it's it's his it's his swan song and then at the end he also introduces who's going to be the new leader so it's the introduction of, to Joshua the new leader but the swan song of Moses okay so in that sense then there's a, a transitional movement within the book of Deuteronomy wrapping up what has happened to the people of God so far where they've been what the Lord has done for them and then preparing them to move forward under the new leader Joshua and and as you said this is going to be almost all the words of Moses. So, and maybe as we, we think about Moses as the author of this book and as the, the preacher of these sermons, tell us a little bit about his life. And, and I think that'll help set the stage for some of the things that Israel has been through leading up to this moment. So tell us about Moses, the author of Deuteronomy. Okay. Um, it's um, Stephen in the New Testament that gives us a nice outline of Moses' life. And 120 years old, as we mentioned earlier, when he dies. But that 120 gets the neat division of 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. And this makes it an interesting study of Moses. For 40 years, he is trained as an Egyptian. He's uh, at the court of uh, the chief woman in the land who raises him. And as Stephen says, he's raised in all the learning of the Egyptians. So he's Egyptian in in his culture at that point. Um, So yes, born to the Jewish family, but he hasn't been there uh, only for the very first months of his life. And then because he killed a man, there got to be a bit of a scandal and Moses has to run off. So he goes up to Midian, and he spends 40 years in Midian. So now he's in a whole new culture up there. He's a shepherd. Uh, He marries a woman there, Zipporah. Uh, His his wife, whose real name is Bertie, as Zipporah means. Hmm. So now he's in the culture of the Midianites for 40 years, and then God calls him at the burning bush. And finally, at age 80, he leads the Jews out of Egypt, through the wilderness, and to the doorstep of the promised land. So it really explains what a multicultured man Moses was. 
Okay, so he's a multi, and I don't know that I'd ever really thought about this too much. I, I, I suppose like there's a there's an animated movie called The Prince of Egypt that was that came out I think in the '90s that kind of put that into your mind. And if with the movie, you know, The Ten Commandments from the I think it was the late '50s or early '60s, yeah. You know, again, you, you see that Egyptian context, but maybe that that middle section, his Midianite context, isn't as as prominent in our minds. Why is that significant? in the way that that Moses life goes and the way that the Lord uses him that he's got these this variety of of multicultural experience well i mean the bible is for the world right and i think anybody reading the book of deuteronomy when they understand the man moses would say oh yeah he maybe would have understood me in his many cultures we have many people moving from culture to culture of course in our modern world and Moses did that in the ancient times, and he had to understand those cultures. Um, you know, what languages did Moses know? We're not given that information. Uh, what, what could he write? Egyptian hieroglyphics, um, Akkadian. Um, we know he wrote Hebrew, the ancient form of Hebrew. So all of those things related to culture and dress and uh, architecture, uh, all of that. I just think of the architecture he experienced in Egypt with the pyramids and all that. And then 40 years in the desert, <laughs> wandering around without all that fine splendor. So God called this man for a reason with all of his experiences, and God gave him those experiences, obviously. Right. Well, and what's what's striking about Moses, and I suppose this comes quite to a climax in the book of Deuteronomy, thinking about the call scene in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush, as you said, when he's 80 years old, one of his objections there is that he he can't talk very well. <laughs> and the last book of, of that he writes is uh, 30 plus chapters of his sermons. The Lord, I mean, the Lord was at work on Moses during those 40, well, all of his years, I suppose. Isn't that ironic, though? Can't talk, so he, he talks a lot. Uh, but but <laughs> that, that, that scene also brings out the meaning of the word prophet. Navi in Hebrew, because a prophet in its literal meaning is someone who speaks for someone else. Well, Aaron was at first Moses' prophet. So his brother Aaron spoke for Moses for a time. And then for the next 40 years, Moses speaks for God as he writes the first five books of the Bible. And now as we're talking about the book of Deuteronomy. Well, and I appreciate you bringing that out. Moses as a prophet, I think that's probably the most common designation when we think of Moses. Mm-hmm. He is prophet. And and I mean, as the end of the book of Deuteronomy says, no one was like him after that, at least when that last part was written. Yeah. But what, I mean, he's got a very varied career, as you said. What else did Moses do? We think of him as a prophet. How else might we consider Moses? Well, he was a uh, songwriter. You know, whether he played a musical instrument, don't know, but the Egyptians had many, many musical instruments. Uh, He he wrote the song, which appears in uh, Deuteronomy 32. He wrote a previous song, which was uh, Exodus 15, after the crossing of the Red Sea, the song of Moses. Uh, He wrote Psalm 90. And was that song, was it chanted? It may well have been. so all of the things, well, we, we could also call him simply the national leader, right? There was nobody else who was the 
what shall I say, executive director of of Israel. He was it. And he, of course, he was the big emancipator. He's the one who led them out. So if we call him head of Israel, prophet, and emancipator, I guess we're summing up pretty much his life. Sure. I mean, those administrative roles that, that Moses occupies, and, and that'll come as we get into the book of Deuteronomy. That's one of the first things that he brings up is the way that he did some delegation in those administrative roles. Yeah. Within his within his role as a, a prophet, you know, it, as you said, the, the proper thinking about prophet, that's someone who speaks for someone else. Mm-hmm. And yet throughout the Old Testament, we see prophets also working. Well, they, they go both directions. When I Like when I teach the youth confirmands here in Smithville about Jesus' office as prophet, priest, and king. We usually think of prophet as someone who speaks for God to the people, and a priest as someone who speaks for the people to God. Mm-hmm. In the Old Testament, though, we often see some overlap there, such that the prophet also is an intercessor. He's not a, a priest in the, the very technical sense, like Leviticus sense of the word. But we see Moses doing that pretty prominently as well, being an intercessor for the people. Yes. Uh, remember that some of that is before God established those three great offices right. of prophet, priest, and king. Uh, so, but yeah, he did have that overlap role. You know, he's from the tribe of Aaron, but only one branch of the tribe of Aaron were priests. And Moses was not from that, uh, uh, well, his, his brother was the high priest, but uh, at any rate, he is from the tribe of, Le- of Levi, of Levi, did I say Aaron? Uh, he's from the tribe of Levi, which gave the priests later on. All right, so we, we've got a, a pretty good handle on the, the life of Moses. In, in terms of the, well, you divided his life, as Stephen did, into those 40-year segments, 120 years, in terms of the like the timeline, when with the book of Deuteronomy, when are we in world history at this moment? Mm-hmm. Um, we, using the Bible's figures, uh, dealing with how long the sojourn was in Egypt and uh, then the 40 years and so forth, using the Bible's figures, we end up with the year 1406 BC when uh, Moses preached and when, when he died. So um, what else is going on there at that time? Of course, you have the culture in Babylon area. You have the high Egyptian culture at that time. And then you have Israel between those two great uh, cultures of Mesopotamia in the east and Egypt in the south and in south and west. So to answer your question directly again, uh, the best chronological information, 1406 BC. So how many years ago was that? A millennium and a half almost. Uh, Two millennia, I'm sorry, two millenniums and a half almost. Okay, so this is this is quite a bit of time ago, 1406 BC, which would be 40 years after the Exodus, and again using the the biblical chronology that we're given. Talk a little bit about there, you know, sometimes around say Easter, 
we'll see programs on the History Channel or other, maybe PBS, that will deal with certain biblical themes. And they don't always agree on the dates, sometimes maybe not even on the authors. There are some that question mosaic authorship. Without getting too far into the weeds here, mm-hmm. uh, Professor, t- give us a, a, a solid case for why we date it about then and why Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy. Um, because the Bible itself says he does. The old that works for me. <laughs> the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus Himself. Uh, they all ascribe authorship of the Pentateuch to Moses. So human theories be what they may. The Bible says Moses is the author. Now, with with Moses being the author, as you said, we have very clear evidence both from the Old and New Testament that that is the case. There are a few places in the book of Deuteronomy where perhaps someone else did write those portions and maybe added them or, or put them on later. What, what are some of those places within the book of Deuteronomy? Okay, well, the last chapter of Deuteronomy is the death of Moses. Now, by prophecy, could Moses have written about his own death? That's possible. But uh, according to both Jewish and Christian tradition, Uh, Somebody added the last chapter and a candidate for that would be Joshua or somebody after the time of Joshua who added that. Then there are some brief introductions to what Moses is saying. Uh, Did somebody add that later on to set things up in a nice form? Of course, all of this um, being carried along by the Holy Spirit because it's the inspired word. The finished product is the inspired word. So there may have been other... um, brief um, edits to the book of, uh, of Deuteronomy. With those edits, and I'm thinking particularly at the end, the part about Moses' death, is there a likely candidate for who might have written those? Yeah, the early tradition was that it would be Joshua, which makes sense. You know, he's, he's just taking over from Moses. Um but there, it's also possible that several centuries down the line, uh, somebody somebody added the account. Uh, was there a already written account of it, and somebody simply adds it then to uh, what Moses had preached in those three sermons? That's a possibility. Hmm. So let's let's talk a little bit about what's in the book of Deuteronomy itself. Now, I, I mentioned it in my introduction. I think one of the, the challenges for modern readers of, of Deuteronomy is that the, there doesn't seem to be much that, I'm putting air quotes on this, much that happens in the book of Deuteronomy. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot of sermons. But is there, I mean, is there, does, what happens in Deuteronomy? How, what would you say to that? What happens in the book? All right. It's probably why I, as a kid, didn't know much about Deuteronomy because you see, <laughs> there's no action here. You know, the big action books of Genesis, Exodus, uh, Numbers, people on the move and everything is happening, uh, excitement. And of course, right after Deuteronomy is Joshua and the fall of Jericho and all that. So action, action. But Deuteronomy doesn't have the action. It has preaching. It's all about words. Now, the word can be more powerful than the sword, right? So it's a powerful book because it's the words of Moses inspired by God. Uh, But the the only real action, apart from, you know, Moses is narrating past action, but that's still not action as it is 
is listening to a sermon. The only action in Deuteronomy is Moses climbing up Mount Nebo and dying and God burying him. There's the action. So, And you have to wait till the very end to get to it. It's the very end, the 34th chapter, yes. Well, okay, with with that, and I, I do, and I think we'll we'll talk more about this when we get into the the text that we've got itself about this matter of the the words and the actual action that is implied. We know that the word of God is living and active, so there is action within that. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the the preaching aspect of this book, you you've said you know this is Moses preaching sermons. How should we how should we picture the book of Deuteronomy? Should we picture Moses standing? I mean, I'm, I'm thinking like Sermon on the Mount here, Moses standing on a mountain with Israel kind of down below him, everybody there in, in that sense, you know, when we're, we're going to read it and we've got mm-hmm. a book in front of us. So sometimes I, I think that's maybe just the picture that starts in our minds is just we're reading words, but h- how do we picture the preaching action in the book of Deuteronomy? Well, first of all, we have the large crowd, right? And we say, how could one man preaching be heard by all these people? Is there a possibility of some relaying of message, uh, you know, so that everybody could clearly hear it? We also do know that uh, acoustical sites were chosen for these events. Um, There have been studies on that various places in the land of Israel and how many people could hear Jesus speak, for instance, on the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, how many could hear uh, other people speak? Um, we don't have that information when it comes to Moses preaching, the exact setting. Uh, I don't think we should picture him on a mountain at all, because it's in the plains, mm. in the plains of Moab, and that's right near the Earth's lowest point at Mm. about 1,296 feet below sea level. So, no, I I don't think he was up on the mountain. He went up to Mount Nebo later on to die, but not to preach. Okay, well, that's a helpful comment. That's okay. So we're we're picturing them on the plains of Moab, which, again, is on the east side of the Jordan River. That's our our geographical setting. Right. Moses is preaching there. In, In terms of... And in terms of some of the mechanics of it, I appreciate, you know, we can't know exactly. What about in terms of the the sermons themselves? Should we understand, and, I, and we'll talk a little more specifically about structure in a moment, but as you said, there's probably three sermons here, mm-hmm. and that second one's really long. Just for just for my own curiosity's sake, earlier, I, I just read out loud the, f- the first sermon as you divide it in okay. your commentary, which is chapter one through about the end of chapter four. Mm-hmm. And it took me about 19 and a half minutes to read the whole thing out loud, which uh, for a Sunday morning sermon, and that was in English, not in Hebrew. I don't know how long it would take in Hebrew. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, an average Sunday morning sermon, that's right in the ballpark. Yeah. I'm guessing if I tried to, to read that whole second sermon out loud, it's going to take me significantly longer this is my 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 question my point should we should we understand moses preaching these things these sermons all at once or maybe separate sermons that later got collected into a book and again maybe that's a question we can't answer with a firm yes or no but i'm curious how again how to how to picture this in our minds well first of all you and i so far have been using the word sermons uh they could also be called addresses 
you know, discourses. So to put them in the same setting as our modern sermons is probably not fair, right? Sure. Um, let's see, what was the second part that you mentioned there? Well, I'm just curious, like, especially that second, as, as again, sermon in address discourse, should we understand it to be all one long okay. discourse that he spoke yeah. at once, or were they separate discourses later put together? Yeah, um, all we have to go on is the introductions to these mm. these various addresses. And you you can also divide that second one up if you want to. Um, there are other you know, little bits of introduction which may indicate that it's a new setting now. You know, Israel has gone back to its camp maybe for a while and come back for another day even for uh, stage two, stage three, stage four. So all those things are possibilities. We just don't have the details and how how that was arranged. Sure. And I, the reason I ask it again is because, as we've said, there's not as much that, quote, happens in the book other than this preaching, this discourse, this address. And so I'm, I'm trying to picture this in my mind. How is how is Moses communicating this to the people more than just, I, I don't think it was everyone sat down in their tent and read what you and I will read as the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah. They're actually listening. There's a, yeah. I mean, it's a, and again, not a, not a sermon in our, our modern use of the word, mm-hmm. but there's a, there is a, I don't know, back and forth is maybe not the right sense, but there's a, this is an activity that is happening, even if it is someone speaking and someone listening. You know, when you, when you think of the great orators of modern history, people could listen to them for, well, even hours. Uh, so, and I imagine Moses, even though he said he couldn't talk, uh, was a dynamic, dynamic preacher. And I, I envision people as being spellbound. And is there a possibility that there was some interaction there also? Could somebody shout out, oh, what do you mean by that, Moses? Right. And he, uh, we don't have answers for, we don't know that that happened, but it's, it certainly is a possibility. Right. And it's, I, again, I just, I think that's helpful to try to picture this in our minds so that it is more than just a book of oh, sermon. I don't want to read my pastor's sermons. No, no. This is the word of God being communicated by the prophet of God to the people of God. This is an activity, something that is actually happening at that moment, something that is certainly worth our time to pay attention to as Christians today. We're going to keep looking at the book of Deuteronomy and get into the opening text on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. You're talking with Professor A.D. Harstad about the book of Deuteronomy. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. What do you think of when you hear the word college? Expensive? Liberal? Woke? Imagine a college that is affordable. A college that is unapologetically conservative and Lutheran. A college that won't take a dime of federal funding. A college that teaches the best of our Western heritage. 
a college where students grow in the Christian faith instead of leaving it behind. This is Luther Classical College, a college by Lutherans and for Lutherans. Visit our website, lutherclassical.org, subscribe, become a patron, and join the thousands who are making Luther Classical College a reality. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, August 1st. We are studying Deuteronomy 1, verses 1 to 5 with Professor A.D. Harstad of Bethany Lutheran Theological Seminary in Mankato, Minnesota. He's the professor of exegetical theology and a bunch of other things he tells me as well there. And he's also the author of a recent commentary from Concordia Publishing House on the book of Deuteronomy. Professor Harstad, we were talking about the book of Deuteronomy in general, and you've referenced several times that one of the ways to structure the book of Deuteronomy is into three sermons or addresses. How do we, where do we see that in the book of Deuteronomy and what's, what's talked about in those three addresses? Mm-hmm. Um, well, we, we get the structure from the introductions, as we mentioned earlier, then Moses began to speak and this and that to all Israel. And that's repeated as though it's a new setting now when it's repeated. So that's how we, arrive at that. Uh, by the way, there are others who divide it into seven speeches, mm-hmm. finding other little introductory matters. But the usual is three speeches. Um, the first one do, does a lot of history. Uh, it's looking back. Uh, and the second one can be explained in this way. It starts with the Ten Commandments, as we call them. The Bible never calls them the Ten Commandments, by the way. It only calls them the Ten Words of Moses. So it begins the second sermon, and that whole second sermon can be explained in terms of further explanation to um, the Ten Words. You, you can find traces of that throughout. Not that he follows, you know, in the same order as the Ten Commandments, but you can find that this relates to this commandment, this relates to this commandment. So it's a further explanation. So that kind of um, puts that uh, second sermon together nicely for us. And then we get uh, we get near the end, um, exhortation to faithfulness and the renewal of the covenant, which was first given at Mount Sinai. So that kind of gives structure to the, to the third section. And, and then I, I think you, you mentioned, uh, maybe we've been, or I don't know if we've been explicit here, but after the, the three sermons or addresses, there is a, a bit of extra material at the end. What's, what's at the end of the book of Deuteronomy? In addition, we've already talked about the death of Moses. What else mm-hmm. comes at the end after his last Yeah, so it's uh, the last four chapters, 31, 32, 33, 34. Um, I guess we can all count. Uh, 31 (laughs) 31, uh, has to do with um, uh, Joshua now being commissioned to take over and the reading of uh, what Moses has said by the priests. So that's 31. 32 is this long, beautiful, powerful song. It's called literally a song. Uh, was it later on uh, sung even? It could have been. Uh, but Moses was given this song by God, and then Moses teaches that song to the people so that throughout the generations, uh, it's going to be in their mouths, actually, he says. 
Uh, so that's 32. 33, Moses blesses the people, you know, just the way um, Jacob blessed at the end of uh, Genesis. So Moses blesses the tribes of Israel. So that's 33. And then we already talked about 34 being the death of Moses. All right, so that's the the content within the those thirty four chapters of Deuteronomy. What would you say are the maybe this is a difficult question for someone who wrote a commentary on the whole book? But what are the key passages in the book of Deuteronomy? Well, Luther said uh, the most important passage, and for good reason, was the one that clearly prophesies Jesus, and it's the prophecy of the prophet that the Lord your God will raise up from among your brethren, prophet like me. And uh, that is definitely a promise of the Messiah, Jesus. How do we know that? In the New Testament, people point that out quite a number of times. They say, could this be the prophet? Could this be the prophet? Uh, the disciples said it. Others said it. Uh, the woman at the well said it. Um, and then Paul, um, well, I'll, I'll save that for later, but the prophet is uh, the huge prophecy of, of Jesus. Of course, there are many references to the promises uh, to the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the great promise to the patriarchs was, well, one of the one of them was the land that will be given to you, a land flowing with milk and honey. But the more important one is, your seed is coming, and he will bless all the nations of the world. I mean, what could be more important than that? And it, it's there where Paul tells us, it does, it's not talking about many seeds there, it's talking about one seed, Jesus Christ. Uh, with the content and these key passages in the book of Deuteronomy, and maybe you've probably referenced this already, but I just want to make sure it's explicit then. What's what's the goal of the book of Deuteronomy? What is, what's Moses trying to accomplish in his farewell addresses? For Old Testament Israel, he is trying to accomplish faithfulness to the God of the covenant. Uh, he's trying to uh, move their heart with the gospel, which Deuteronomy also has gospel, and we just talked about the promise of Jesus. Uh, move their heart with the gospel to want to obey the covenant laws that are outlined in the book of Deuteronomy. So exhortation to faithfulness, confirming the covenant uh, given earlier, and living in the new land. You know, they're about to cross the land, the river, mm. into the new land. So living the covenant in that new land across the River Jordan. So with that Old Testament goal in mind, then how does the book of Deuteronomy, well, I guess maybe this is a two-part question. How does the book of Deuteronomy get used in the New Testament text? And then what's the use of Deuteronomy for us as Christians in the church today? Great question. You know, why bother with the Old Testament when we got the new? We hear that often. <laughs> why bother with the Old Covenant when we got the New Covenant? Um, Luther wrestled with that question. And he says there are three really good reasons uh, to read to read Moses. Now he's talking about not just Deuteronomy, but everything that Moses wrote. Why, why should we bother with Moses? And Luther says, we're not going to sweep them under the rug because there's a lot of good, good, uh, good reason to listen to Moses. 
Um, and the first thing he says that there are many things in these books, including Deuteronomy, that are meant for all people of all time. Yes, much of it was meant only for Old Testament Israel for a time, right? Until the new covenant. But there is much also which is for all people of all time. Well, you might think of the Ten Commandments right off the bat. Uh, but remember that even parts of the Ten Commandments are not for all people of all time. They were only for the Jews, the Sabbath day laws and so forth. And then Moses says, we read Deuteronomy because it, because it relates to Christ. Um, you know, we talk about the sacrifices, which are pictures of Christ. We just talked about the great prophecy of the prophet. We talked about the promises to the patriarchs. Well, that's all in Deuteronomy. So Christ is, is there. That's a good reason for us New Testament people to, to read it. And then uh, Luther says also, in it, there are also many good examples of faith good examples of faith, which are inspiring for us. There are also uh, bad examples of people who were, were not people of it. And it's good for us to read those warnings also. So I think Moses uh, Luther has summed it up there with those three, three reasons. But we all wrestle with that. Why bother with the old when we got the new? Well, and I think those three reasons from Luther are all very helpful, that there is much in these books that is meant for everyone in every place. It teaches us of Christ, and it gives good examples to imitate and also bad examples as to, to watch against. So uh, fantastic. What about the use of Deuteronomy within the New Testament? At, at least as a, as a pastor, you know, one place I, I know that Deuteronomy shows up is in the temptation of our Lord. He quotes three times from the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah. What's the significance for Deuteronomy in the in the text of the New Testament? Uh, there are so many references in the New Testament to the book of Deuteronomy. Um, first of all, Jesus cites Deuteronomy more than any of the first four books of the Pentateuch. So Jesus knew that Deuteronomy was important. Then, as you just mentioned, three times, the three temptations of Satan, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, this powerful, powerful message that... Uh, shut the mouth of Satan, right? Um, so the powerful me message of Deuteronomy that Jesus ma made use of. And then we have all of the other New Testament writers. The statement is made, rightly made, that every author of the New Testament alludes to, quotes, paraphrases, whatever, the book of Deuteronomy. Um, one scholar, uh, Walter Kaiser, he counted um, 103 allusions to Deuteronomy in the Gospel of John alone. So, you know, a highly influential book on the New Testament writers. So for that reason, also we could add to Luther's list here that we wouldn't know, if, if we didn't have Deuteronomy and we, and we didn't read Deuteronomy, we wouldn't know why these New Testament men were saying what they did. It comes from Deuteronomy. So we certainly want to know how those New Testament writers got that message that they're uh, referring to. Mm. All right. So I, I think that is good for an introduction to the book, Dr. Or Professor Herstad. And I think there may be some other things, but it's going to come up from the text. Because if we don't read the text, we probably won't. So yep. we need to read it. Okay. So Deuteronomy 1, verses 1 to 5 is the text we need to look at today. 
These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab. It is eleven days' journey from Horeb, by the way of Mount Seir, to Kadesh Barnea. In the fortieth year, on the first day of the eleventh month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them, after he had defeated Sihon the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth and in Edrai. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, and then we will pick up with Moses' sermons in the coming show. So that's Deuteronomy 1, verses 1 to 5. Professor Harstad, I think you you structure this in your commentary as an introduction to the whole book and then an introduction to the, the first sermon of Moses or the first address. Sometimes these sections, particularly in a book like Deuteronomy, are easy to skip over or just kind of maybe just move through quickly because we don't always know how to pronounce the names. Yeah. We don't always know where the places are or who the people are, but there is there are things to be gleaned. One of the first ones is is something that we've talked about, at least re- in reference already, and the way the book opens, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel. What is the significance of just that, that the way the book opens? Uh, well, first of all, he, he is the chosen prophet. So these words of Moses are at the same time the word of God who commissioned him uh, and gave him the, the words to speak and which were then written down also. Uh, another important point for, um, for this, these first four verses is that the Bible is establishing this is real history. It, it happened at real places, even though we don't always know exactly where these places were. The first audience did. They, they knew these names, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so it's real history. Theology is not, the Bible's theology is not in some mystical never, never land. It happened on this real earth. Uh, Jesus became a real human being. Uh, Moses uh, spoke a real sermon uh, to Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy. So establishing the where, the when, the who, uh, is the purpose of these first four verses. And you, you mentioned also that these first four verses uh, cover the whole book. And then verse five is a separate introduction to just the first uh, sermon of Moses. So that explains, it's not just redundancy in the fifth verse that Moses is uh, introduced again. It's, it's the introduction to his first sermon. I really appreciate you reminding us of the importance that biblical theology isn't just some mystical thing. It's made up or or a myth, but actually happened in real time, in real places, with real people. And, and especially in the way that that points us forward then to the incarnation, the suffering, the death, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a really important thing. So when you see these names that maybe you can't pronounce and you're not sure exactly where they might be, Rejoice that God did do things in these places for real people, just like he still continues to act for his people in, in real places and in time and in history still today. In in terms of the geography that is mentioned here, mm-hmm. 
with this introduction to the whole book, can you kind of, and I know you can't draw us a map here. You've got a nice map in your, in your commentary, yeah. which I really appreciate, but can you, can you kind of give us a, a general idea of, of the geography that is chosen here and, and maybe why this is the geography that shows up at the beginning? Yes. I, first of all, I thoroughly appreciate historical geography of the Bible because once again, it reinforces this real places, real time aspect of what the Bible is. Uh, so we can say some definite things about some of these places. Um, so Moses, as we said before, uh, we know from the book of Numbers that they're in the plains of, of Moab, plains of Moab. So we know right where that is. And now we get some other names uh, in connection with it. In the area beyond the Jordan is that first phrase there. Uh, what, and what does that mean beyond the Jordan? Here it means east of the Jordan. Okay, so beyond the Jordan to the east, the country, the modern country of Jordan, as we said earlier. And then it says in the wilderness. Now that's in contrast to the promised land flowing with milk and honey across the river, right? So uh, it's wilderness in the sense that it's not yet the promised land. It, that's nice country over there in the plains of Moab. I've been there and seen the greenness of it and all that after the rainy season. So anyway, in the wilderness. And it's also called in the Arabah. Uh, the Arabah is part of the Great Rift Valley. Uh, the Great Rift Valley runs from Turkey all the way down to Mozambique and Malawi in Africa. Huge gouge in the face of the earth that can be seen by, uh, from the moon. And the Arabah is the part that includes uh, the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan Valley, the Dead Sea, and south of there. And that's where the Earth's lowest point is, right at the Dead Sea. Um, and then he mentions Suf. I'm rambling on here. You, you could stop. No, it's okay. Keep, you know, yeah, it's okay. On this uh, geography if you want to. But Suf. Uh, Suf is a Hebrew word for reeds. Uh, we know of the Sea of Reeds where Israel crossed early, earlier. Is this the same place that... Uh, that Israel crossed that Moses is mentioning here. The picture seems to be this up to what I've just said here so far, that Moses is drawing a line from where he is in the plains of Moab, way down south to where Israel had been, right? So there's a vertical line. There's a vertical line. And then names coming up may be the horizontal line across which Israel later on went to get to the plains of Moab. So we are kind of drawing a map there. If And that's a common way in, in the Bible to mention extreme points in order to bring out the map that we're talking about here. Okay. And I, I think that's helpful. So we've got basically a north-south line and, and then an east-west line that basically recounts kind of where they've been. Mm -hmm. and And then verse 2 when I read that it is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea, and then in verse three, in the 40th year on the first day, it, that seems like quite a contrast there. It, it was only 11 days to get to Kadesh Barnea, but here we are, and now it's the 40th year. Is that maybe already a bit of a reminder of the reason that Israel's been wandering around for so long? Very deliberate, for sure, that contrast. They could have been in the promised land in about 12, 13 days, because it only took them 
11 days to go from Mount Sinai all the way up to Kadesh Barnea on the southern doorstep of, of the land flowing with milk and honey. Okay, so 11 days. And then, then they could have soon been in the land. But that's the location where the spies were sent out. Uh, one from each tribe. Ten of the spies said, we can't take that land. Uh, the other two, Joshua and Caleb, says, we can with the promises of God, and we will. Uh, but there was rebellion at that point. And what could have been 11 days turned into 40 years, as you said, because of the, at that point, 38 years of wandering uh, that, that followed that time. So that is very significant that uh, 11 days and then in the 40th year, striking. But uh, you got to think about what happened uh, in order to bring about that long period of time rather than 11 days into the land. So it is in the 40th year, which as we, we said earlier, is, is probably we're talking about the year 1406 BC mm-hmm. that Moses speaks to. And here we get the audience. We've said this. It's the people of Israel. It's not just, say, the Levites in Leviticus. Yeah. This is everybody that gets to hear what Moses has to say, which, as you pointed out, this is what actually the Lord wants them to know. Uh, verse 4 gives us a little bit more historical information that will be fleshed out in, in coming chapters. It, with the defeat of the two kings, is it, what's what's there in, in verse 4? Yeah, uh, two kings, they're called the kings of the Amorites, a group of people there on the east side of the Jordan. And um, Israel, under the promise of God, conquered those two mighty guys, uh, Sihon and Og. Um, little bit of history there, too, if, if we get time. Sure. Give yeah, just a, a brief history. I, I want to make sure we leave a little bit of time or enough time. We've got about five minutes right okay, now. Okay. I want to make sure you have time to talk about what the word law means in verse five. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, the um, eastern tribes uh, have already gotten their land there. The eastern tribes of Israel, Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, they were the cowboy tribes, and they saw that good grazing land on the east side of the Jordan, and they said we would like it. And so they were given that land to graze their flocks and herds. Um, And they promised then that they would cross over the Jordan with their brothers and help their brothers also get their land across the River Jordan. So the Eastern tribes have that land because Sion and Og were conquered. These are mighty kings. Uh, There's a description of Og with his huge bed, his huge iron bed. He must have been a huge man. Um, And yet he becomes, well, what should we say, fodder for uh, God's canon for the sake of of his people. Uh, So that's the background to, um, to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites and Israel taking their land. Well, it just just briefly then, these these two you know, brief notes, I, I think, help us with some of the things we're going to see in the book of Deuteronomy. On the one hand, this matter of it was only 11 days to get to Kadesh Barnea, but then you wandered for another 38 years. That's a reminder of Israel's unfaithfulness. Mm-hmm. But then the mention of these two kings already having been defeated, this is a reminder of God's faithfulness yep. to the people. And those are pretty key themes for the book of Deuteronomy as a whole. Yep, that should inspire Israel to cross that river and... Uh, success will continue across the Jordan under the promises of God. 
So with that book, with that introduction to the entire book, then verse 5 serves as an introduction to the first of Moses's addresses. And in the English Standard Version, which I read a moment ago, mm. it says, Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law. And then we get his actual text beginning in verse 6. I'd like to have you comment on the word that's translated law, mm-hmm. which is the Hebrew word Torah. We got about two and a half minutes. Tell us why maybe we should think of law, the Torah, not just as law, but as something broader mm-hmm. so that we actually get to see the gospel in the book of Deuteronomy. Yeah. Torah has the basic meaning of instruction or teaching, or sometimes a good translation would simply be the word. Uh, So it doesn't always mean just commands. Now, sometimes it does mean commands. Uh, Other times it means just gospel, as it's used in the Psalms, for for instance. Uh, And sometimes it means the whole account, which includes both law and gospel. So we shouldn't get hung up with that, that English term law, because law is translating Torah, teaching. Um, and quite a few modern translations now don't just translate it as law, but as teaching. Um, and I think that that would work here also. Moses undertook to explicate, to explain thoroughly this, uh, what I say in my commentary is this Torah, so it doesn't turn into this, this law. Mm, that's right. So he's going to, to explicate the word of God. That's that's what he's going to do. That's a big word to explicate. I don't even like it, <laughs> but it ended up in the commentary. It means to thoroughly explain, and that that's the Hebrew word. Uh, really, you know, delve into what uh, what the Torah is for Israel. Yeah, and so we have the opportunity as we read the book of Deuteronomy now to delve into this word of God spoken by Moses to Israel, God's own word, now given to us Christians, reading the books of Moses for our good, that we might see Christ in them, that we might know those things that are for us as well, and might learn from the examples of faith given. Professor A.D. Harstad is professor of exegetical theology at Bethany Lutheran Theological Seminary in Mankato, Minnesota, and also the author of the recently published commentary on the book of Deuteronomy from Concordia Publishing House, helping us today with Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. Professor Harstad, thanks for being our guest today. It was an honor to be on your program. I am your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. I'm looking forward to journeying through the book of Deuteronomy with you as we learn from Moses God's word for us still that will point us both to law and gospel, to the commands and promises teaching us of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.